0: Welcome back to the Padon Sessions. In this episode, artist Makkam Sue and assistant curator Jennifer K.Y. Lam delve into London's art scene in the 1960s and discuss what it takes for a Singaporean artist to succeed in a foreign metropolis. Now, I have been painting for the last 62 years, and I have never allowed myself to put in this position, standing, that's not my painting, my painting over there. in front of my painting, and facing all these people staring at me, (laughs) waiting for something to happen. Okay. Now, I remember a rather interesting conversation with my good friend, the professor of Royal College of Art. Uh, And in the conversation, I asked him, do you know, Peter, I've been painting such a long time. I still can't paint. He suddenly burst out laughing in the middle of the National Gallery restaurant in London. So we became the spect- spectacle in the restaurant. And when it all calmed down, he leaned over. Do you know what he said? I can't either. <laughs> <laughs> so, time is, it doesn't help you. The longer you paint, the less you know how to paint which is true, it's the same with all creative people, write writing or music or, you know, whatever else. It's sort of trying, trying it out. In fact, more like taking drug, except I'm not a drug-taker. You, you you, want to take drug. you're looking for the best drug, best quality drug would make you you know, get high. But doing creative work, that high doesn't last long, the opium or drug doesn't last long. So soon you go flat again, and you want more. This is what I've been spending the last 62 years, you know, try to get high, but I never get there. (laughs) That's why I still painting, and still can't paint. So therefore, between, my son Peter, it's all very well we call ourselves, or you call us, rather. We don't call ourselves. You call us professional artists. So now you know, we all call artists.) <laughs> <laughs> but fine. you can say what you like, but we enjoy what we're doing. That's the important thing. Painting, if you are a serious, great, creative person you you paint for yourself. I'm talking just purely about painting, no point touching another area, okay, about painting you paint because you want to paint you're not thinking about, cool oh, I can get 50,000 for that you never do, if you do that forget about it, don't be an artist, do something commercial or any other kind of Earning, you know, don't pay. Because you've got to prepare, make a lot of sacrifice find during your time, your whatever, or comfort, or whatever. So, you've got to be dedicated. Like you people know about uh, Vincent van Gogh. He was the real artist. He suffered throughout his short life. The last eight or ten years of his life. He actually never saw a painting during that time, apart from bartering with, for grocery and so on for, in order to live. But he did the best work during the last eight or nine years. So for me, now in order to survive, at one stage I was offered a teaching post. In, I went to London to study St. Martins because the slow boat from Singapore to England took us nearly four weeks to get there. By the time I got there, I nearly missed the whole term. So when I went for interview, kindly the head of department allowed me to, to, do, to do the second year of the two-year course, intermediate. And then two years, uh, so-called NDD, National Diploma, National Diploma Design. Okay. And after three years, I was offered a place at the Royal College of Art for three more years. So, and it ended up, I did about Five and a bit year and got myself ARCA degree and uh, MA because at that time we were the last group of students gaining the ARCA degree and because uh, all the system changing to university level so we got so I got two degrees extra MA be the extra okay Now, when I was in Singapore, before I left Singapore, my parents objected me to go to England to do art. But although, although they would like me to be successful, my mother in particular, she said, you are not going. If you don't go, I'll buy you a mini because early sixty, you got this brand new Austin, Morris Mini, she said, if you don't go away, I'll buy you a new Mini. I said, I don't want a Mini. I want to go away to London. And she said, I'm afraid you might not come back. I know you're not going to come back. And she was right all along. (laughs) Amazing. She could, obviously, she knew me well enough. She made me, you know, having brought me up so long. So she thought positively you know, you're not going to come back. So her wish came through. Now, talking about my mother, I think I want to share with you the experience I, I know with her and her from my... Because I have four brothers and four sisters, and I'm the baby. Okay? And my my name to, to the family is Anga. Because... Well, they, they're much older, so they confirmed that because I was a crybaby. <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, I noticed I didn't invite my, my family along down there. I just noticed some of my sisters and the children here. So I'm stuck for life. I'm uh, for the family. Okay. Now, I was very lucky when I was at St. Martin's. My first year in the painting department, I won uh, a student competition, a prize for 25 pounds worth of art books. It was sponsored by Daily Express in Fifth Street. So I went to the Daily Express office to select 25 pounds worth of art books. Great big stack of them. They're all thick books. So it was a job to carry them home. So that's one of my lucky dips. And then the last year, St. Martin's, I won the place to go to the Royal College of Art for three more years. And I won a traveling scholarship to travel in Italy. In the letter of um, confirming my my award, they say 200 pounds was quite a bit of money in 1964. It should be enough to travel around Italy for six months, five or six months. Providing you send a postcard back from, when you get to room, send a postcard back to confirm that you are there. (laughs) So I enjoyed that. I went to study a lot of Renaissance paintings throughout. So that was that. And then went back to to, uh, my Chelsea studio and, for well, a flat and studio to have a celebration of my so-called success, the scholarship, no, the yeah, traveling scholarship and a place at the Royal College. And I had a telegram from Lock to Toe, and, and one of his assistants was sent over to the opening party in the studio in Chelsea. So I was quite happy to have that kind of attention. So at the Royal College of Art, yes, during my second year, because during my five years in London, I took part in all the, the the exhibition called Young Contemporary, Young, Young Contemporary Exhibition annually for students throughout the country and I missed the first one because the the slow boat to England. So I missed the opportunity for the first one. Otherwise, I would have taken six years. And during those exhibitions, the Arts Council would select some paintings for t- touring exhibitions around the country. So it's a double exhibition for publicity for these selected students. During the second year at the Young Contemporary, the Gary from Bristol, Arnolfini, the director went to see, they often do anyway, to see if they can spot some talents. And I got a letter from the director of Arnolfini, Gary, as she mentioned, in Bristol. And it was the beginning of Arnolfini, but now it's become a big, organization. You probably find it in internet uh, gallery. So they say, we would offer you an exhibition. And the timing was during my, my third year at the Royal College, my last year. So I, I had the exhibition in Bristol. I thought it's just normal to send out invitation within the tutors and the principal. And the professor in the painting school was told off by the principal to allow me to show when I was still a student. So I had a show in Bristol. A uh, uh, few months later, there was another Young Contemporary Exhibition at the t- uh, Gallery. During that show, the ICA Gallery in London That was also the early day of ICA, but now it's a much bigger organisation in London. They selected six so-called talented artists to form a small group, six artists at the ICA. I was one of them. And Desmond Morris was the active person. You you know the Naked Ape writer. He was there uh, to do the opening. He was holding this catalog with with my image on a tracing paper, printed the catalogue. You can see over there. He holding it. Oh. You are the artist, aren't you? <laughs> I said, yes. So had a brief conversation with him. I think he's still alive, né? Yeah. So there was the six young artists during my, no, that was after college. No, after I came back to Singapore, 1967, where I had a show at National National Library, Uh, National Library, Singapore National Library, yeah. I had a big show there. And it was uh, pretty successful uh, on the whole. So I pocketed a lot of money back to, back to England. And I survived for more than a year with that money as a professional artist. I thought, hmm. So, but of course, money would run out, wouldn't you? So I, I always have this kind of love. When, when I'm low, something's going to happen to me or the plate, actually on a plate for me. Cardiff director of studies in Cardiff phoned me up out of the blue. Say, now someone just left. Would you like to come and take up this job to replace him? But obviously he got recommendation from my tutors, you know, say that one, that one, you know. We recommend him. So he called my name. And I know my money was getting less and less. <laughs> So I said, right, I'll come. So I was offered a job teaching second year's final students, my first job. And they were pleased with me anyway. But unfortunately, that job only for one term. And then they suggested apply to another job. And I got it. And I was there for about a year. So I was a year and and a term in Cardiff. But the unfortunate thing is, I had this flat studio in Kew Gardens, and then a little pet sit in, in Cardiff. But at first, I stayed in Workman Cafe for the first term. Actually, it was pretty good. Workman Cafe food, the landlady also called Mac. And lovely general helping, delicious. Food to feed all these lorry drivers. So I was one of the lorry drivers among them. You know, I enjoyed it. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting in, in, uh, experience. I, I drove my minivan from Kew Garden to Cardiff and found a hotel park, not hotel, it's called Mac Cafe. So just right for me. <laughs> Parked the car in the street. And that very night, Someone pinched, tried to pinch my van, but happened a neighbor was alert, came down to chase the burglar. When I came down next day, I couldn't see the van. Then I asked around, they say perhaps at the police station. So the chap was caught, obviously, and the police took the car to the police station. I had to go to court to be the witness. First outing, lovely. (laughs) Now, I couldn't very well afford to have two flats with that salary and the train journey. And the, well, that is okay. In terms of money, I don't care about that. Spent three nights in Cardiff. That means I couldn't do any work. Got a lovely studio in, in Kew Gardens. In a bed seat, there's a limit you can do. So after that time, I say I'm going to pack it in. So I was being humble. Right, go back to, to London. I said to myself, I'll take any job on offer. I don't want to rely on any kind of social security money because I have my pride and dignity. So I I say I would take anything. When I went to the lab, I went to the labor exchange, what did they give me? A factory job. I said to myself, all right. So I sent to a they, they called them name plate company, printing uh, on metal or on plastic in you know, whatever commercial purposes. The job I got the first day. We're supposed to sit on a stool in, in front of a machine, a pile of plastic printed, whatever, I can't remember. You put it into the machine. By the first tea time, I said to, to the foreman, I said, I can't do this. <laughs> so he said, go, go and see the manager. So the manager said, all right, you are an artist. Maybe we try the printing department, making silk screen and lithograph. I said, all right, give it a try. So I learned to do some industrial process, making, preparing screen for silk screen and lithograph. But I didn't enjoy that either. So I went back to the labor exchange, they put my name down, (coughs) for supply teaching. I'd rather go back to teaching. The first job I got was one day a week in one of the toughest, comprehensive schools in North London. they all skinheads, of course, but a bit less than that. <laughs> and they all irritating. Once I had to climb, climb up the window to chase after them, because they were being rude. But after a few weeks, I walked out. I didn't tell anybody. I don't think I got paid either. <laughs> so during that time, it wasn't a funny thing. I had to get more job. I had to get part-time working in the pub. So I did, I think, two or three days at the factory, a few sessions at the pub, and tried to do my painting. And then one or two days teaching, quite a few jobs after Kuba. Still not enough to keep the family going, but the second job was pretty much better. A Catholic school approached me, so I spent just over a year there as, as the head of, head of um, art department. And the headmaster very pleased with me because I put Through an awful lot of uh, pupils to do to pass their O and A level exam, except I had to drop a few. The headmaster said we better don't put everybody in, in case we embarrass ourselves. But so I dropped about two, so he was happy. But the rest passed the exam. Fortunately, for me as well as for him. And then there was a job advertised. And I got the job, with obviously with good recommendation of my teaching experience. And I was there for 17 years in Berkshire College of Art in Maidenhead. You're probably familiar with Maidenhead. It's Theresa May's area. So I was there. I was there 17 years. I enjoyed that to help st- students. In fact, I was a social worker, therefore, all that time. But then in the end, I said to myself, how about me? So-called, you should look after number one. So I said, yes, I'm number one. So I decided that's the end. I've done 20 years of social work. So I'd rather do painting. So I given up teaching. Immediately, again, on the plate, I was being taken up by an agent and they were very good agents in, in, in terms of money. They knew how to price the painting and they knew how to sell them. So I was earning more money, just sit at home and enjoy my painting, than when I was teaching. A guaranteed you know, a monthly payment, but, but they, they really promote my work. They were, they were my sole agent. But unfortunately, as you know, so China, so big, so many artists and so many pop-up galleries, so they, they go and buy cheap painting from China, bring it down. And my agent, after five years looking after me, they decided they had enough, don't want to get involved with the competition. Good people go for all the cheap work. And they've got to make the effort too. But during that five years of dealing with my work, there was another chap, spot my so-called talent, and he bought an awful lot of my work. At that time, he was just a collector and an antique shop dealer. He got plenty of money. So he bought a lot of my work during that time from my first agent. And then this, the, my first agent said, go to Hong Kong to see Manfred Shunni. Some of you probably familiar with Shunni Gary in Hong Kong. So I went there. Uh, the aim was to see my good old friend, uh, Mrs. Fang Zhao Lin, you probably heard of. And then went down to his office to see to see Manfred. He knew, he knew me because he got so many paintings. I went to, into his office. We had chat and he said, I'll give you a show within two years. And he already sorted out what he would do. I said, he said, I will produce a catalogue and you just give me a painting. So I said, fine. Then I said, what do I do now? If it's two years, I've got to eat. Oh, he said, no problem. How much money do you want? So my (coughs) my was working away thinking hmm, how much money do I want? So I thought I asked for the maximum to keep me going. So I tried my luck. He said, no problem. <laughs> how are you going to pay for it? I said, painting? No problem. Then he said, I'll pay you in three instalments. But that's fair, now I don't need all the money in one go. So he, he did give me, send me three instalments of money during that time, long before the exhibition. Then we had the exhibition. And he, during the opening, we saw quite a lot of painting. And I was told, very successful that evening by the gallery staff. But then within a few months, I paid all the money, well, I didn't pay, but he took all the money I owe him from the from the work he sold. So he got his money back and I got extra money from the rest of the work. So I was happy, he was happy. That's that particular first exhibition in Hong Kong. But be, I don't know, that's not there. I That exhibition, I ought to work in both with the Hong Kong, handing over to China. And I did a lot of painting related to Chris Patton, Deng Xiaoping. It's not about attacking anybody because I I was very aware of politically and socially and environmentally about the world. So that's what all those paintings are about. Just like my diary, you know, daily about what's Here you often hear all these people from Hong Kong, big interview about how they feel about the you know, the change, the change going to be. But of course, in there, I use a panda to represent China. There's one I rather fond of. I have Chris Patton in his pajama top, agonizing, and I quote, well, recognizing in front of a big image of a panda head, as if he, the panda mouse was, was moving. I am going to eat you up. You know, that kind of image. And, uh, and uh, another one, the obvious one, is a uh, John Major having trouble with, with his back benches. So I, I had John Major dress up as a clown, and we were two chimps, one on the back, pulling his uh, hat off, and the other one grabbed the legs and stopped him moving. Peter, uh, he had a rough time with the back benches. They still do now. You you probably hear from news the same old bunch of people causing trouble for Theresa May. I don't know what she's going to do. Nobody knows. Nobody knew in England what is going to happen with the Brexit, some of you are probably familiar with. But uh, so it's bad luck for for Britain for that reason. Uh, We don't want to talk about politics for this time. So, 1996, we went to China for for, uh, several weeks' tour coming back down to Hong Kong. We went to see Mrs. Fang, Wang Zhaolin, and then I called in the gallery to see Shoni. Before I had a chance, when I went there to his office, before I had a chance to say hello, he said, Mac, go home, do me 30 paintings, a small one. I said, "What? what painting? Anything you like. How long for? Oh, just don't worry about the time. Just go and do me 30 paintings, small paintings. I said, all right. So when I went home, I ordered 120 small stretches, a big row of canvas, just in case I messed them up. So plenty to, for me to work on. So I worked and work. I, I enjoyed what I was doing, so I managed to produced the quota he asked for, 30. Then obviously I had inspiration. So I went because I got all these blank canvases waiting there. So I went on painting, painting, paint. Within that year I reckon would be roughly about six months period. I produced 93 times of what he asked for, 90. I didn't care about how many how many he asked for. I just enjoy painting. So by the time I got to 90, I said, I better stop. So I phoned him up. He came all the way from Hong Kong to to England. I had a lot of them up on the wall in the studio or standing against the wall, some of them. He looked around. You know what he said? I buy them all. That's the best thing any artist would like to hear. (laughs) (laughs) I buy them all. (laughs) So so I've been lucky, am I? (laughs) Very lucky. In fact, I've been lucky ever since I was a pupil at the Chinese high school. I saw my first painting in 1958, when the Chinese high school had a show at Chinese Chamber of commerce, yeah? Yeah. And there was this chap, Anthony Scroeding, from the Radio Singapore. He saw the painting and he bought it. And he immediately he became the self-appointed dealer for me. I didn't ask him to. So I had the rest of the Radio Singapore staff coming to me. So I was pretty rich as a 1819 year old student, not artist, so that was my first break. But then the last two years of my stay at the high school, I got the first prize in student competition for, I can't remember what it, they, they call it, Singapore Exposition, Exhibition, was it? Uh, well, maybe you, some of you are aware of that, doesn't matter. And the following year was the, another competition organized with 20th Century Fox, Company, they had a firm to coincide with the art competition. I got 1,000 Singapore dollars for the prize. Because I had difficulty to negotiate with my mother, I said, look, I got money now, I can go on my own. If you don't let me go, I'll go. But then, of course, she wasn't very happy. But then Xu Ping said, Ah, look, you're Xu Ping going with me. He said, I'll look after you. So I used that as, as an excuse to tell my mother, He will look after me. So my, my mother felt a bit more relaxed. All right, she gave up. So I was allowed to. So the so called Xu Ping looking after me, that isn't true. I had to look after him. Anyway, that's another story. Now where, where should I go from here? Or <laughs> well, maybe I should stop. Mac, maybe we can have some questions from the. Front. Yeah, for now, yeah. Any question? Can you tell us about your paintings in the gallery? Now I, I I understand the the title of this talk is, to see what you see, is not what you see. I say no more. <laughs> no, what you should do is, I want all of you to go away. If you can remember that line, and you keep repeating it, and until you get all muddled up, and then you can jump up all the words and re- reconstruct the whole thing, maybe in the end you understand what I'm talking about. I talk in riddle. Now, this is the way I treat my students. I used to drive them mad. I don't know, how I'm driving you mad. <laughs> in the beginning, when they come to see me, they simply don't understand what I'm talking about. You are talking really, because that's how I, well, not I wanted in the first place, just developed into a way of thinking how I could get the best out of my students. I don't put ideas into their head, I try to draw things out of them. So the only way you can do it is you say nothing very much. Just let them say it. Even the simplest thing, you don't take it away from them. Even the first simple idea, let them do it, and encourage them to move on. That's, that's my philosophy. So therefore, if I answer your question, I can lie to you, can I? I can say what I like. Because, to be honest, if you are being serious about about it, artists normally don't like to talk about their work because whatever they say is not necessary what their work is about. Because basically, I'm I'm not talking about the people now, I'm talking about myself. Quite often, I don't know what happened, suddenly a painting appeared uh, either consciously or subconsciously or even unconsciously, mentally. And some of the paintings I have done, looking back, I simply can't remember how I did them, which is quite normal. In fact, they are the best painting When they came, suddenly appeared, oh, you say to yourself, hmm, that's it, I've done it. Quite often, those are the best work. If you slave away, planning it, that painting probably a pretty dead anyway. It will not be as lively as you can do it freely without any kind of restriction. Any more? Do you have a favorite painting of your own? Is it sold or is it still with you? I can't confirm that. <laughs> I have sold a lot of work, yes, and I have destroyed a lot of work. Because for some people, why, did, why, do, you, what, why do you want to destroy your work? When people are thinking in terms of money. But when I destroy my work, I don't think about money. Just get in, get in my way. Because you only got so much space to store your work. You either give, give them to some people, they appreciate them, if you don't like them. It's just a piece of paper or just a piece of canvas. You know, you can't be too sentimental with your own creativities. You create because you want to do it, because you can't do it at the same time. So you try, keep trying. Anymore? more? No more. Right, I want to, I think I want to talk about a, a subject most of you would like to here and also, often your the subject you think about every day. Some of you smiling, thinking, "Yes, I think about it every few minutes, every day throughout the day." No, I don't. I don't mean that. I think about the subject every two or three minutes throughout the day. No, we we are not talking about that. I'm not about talking about sex, because <laughs> your government wouldn't allow me to. Or oh, I corrupt you talking about money now if if I start talking about high end of the art market, a lot of you have seen in newspaper about how high the prices today three digit million pound or dollars the funniest thing I suppose you must have heard about the four hundred 450 dollars for leonardo da vinci's painting recently recently i i read somewhere there was a funny story behind why the price went up so high now apparently between the saudi crown prince and abu dhabi crown prince between them they were friends obviously tried to stop Qatar, I assume another crown prince in Qatar, stopped them having that painting. So the two friends appointed two different agents to do telephone auctioning, link up with them. But none of the two agents realized they were beating with each other. But not Qatar, they got nothing to do with it. So they went, went, went up to 450. You know what happened to the painting? The Saudi prince swapped that painting with the Abu Dhabi crown prince for his luxury yacht for the same money. Straight shot. And apparently, a year before, that painting was offered to Qatar for 90 million. And they say that's, that's the most expensive price 90 million, but not 450 million. So there you are. So this is a trouble with the art market. It's not, no longer about the quality of art. And then Leonardo is not his best work. And the, the quality is not also good either because we mess around so much. It's not the original work anymore. But they don't care, just by the name, like buying any kind of uh, consumer good with a name. So that's the art market for you. But uh, I belong to the lower end of the market, obviously. (laughs) Say no more. (laughs) Any question, Jennifer? You were in London in the 60s to 80s. It was a time when uh, race and social inequality was, uh, was really at the center of the debate. How did you respond to it? Well, as a student, we, we enjoyed the so-called flower period in, in London. But every, everybody was very excited, especially myself myself being so successful during that short time. So become so unaware of anything else. Everybody's feeling happy with the Beatles and things. You know, go to parties and things like that. But uh, apart from that, I, I was preoccupied with my painting anyway. Mm-hmm. So do you see quite separate? In what way separate? In art making. Is quite separate. Art making is a private business. Mm-hmm. got nothing to, to do with anybody else. If you are a serious person with your painting or creativity, you're only doing it for, you, for yourself. You don't need, do it for anybody else or for money. That would be the the last thing you should think about, making money. If you want to make money, go to be a banker or whatever. Like most parents would say, doesn't matter what country. Be a banker, lawyer, doctor. Don't be an artist. Don't be an actor or writer. I remember one year, must be in my 60s, Someone wrote to me, You're still painting, even knowingly I was successful financially and as an artist. I think about time you should find a job. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, he didn't know how, how well off I am, Oh, I was. <laughs> okay, any more? Do you work in any other medium? Or- I use also things. I'm always experimenting right. apart from video. I, I'm, I'm not an internet person. I am running. All I got is a, a landline. Like when I book in at the hotel, the reception offered me one of their hotel mobile phones. I say, What's that? He said, That's a, controlling the system around round the room, lighting. I, think. I say. Can I ring around all the friends in Singapore with that? They said, no, it doesn't work, we need for the room. I said, forget about it, I don't know how to use it. Only this morning, I saw the first time what the Facebook looked like. (laughs) I'm not interested. The the most advanced uh, machine I had was the when I went to see Sony in 1994, after our little bit of chat, he said, go home, buy a fax machine so that we can communicate. So I bought a fax machine. That was in, in England. But when we moved to Ireland, we live in an area, <coughs> it's an old copper mine area. So every time, <laughs> every time there's a right lightning strike if you don't rush to the telephone point fast enough your mo- machine will <coughs> blow up so i have three fax, phone fax machine after that i'll forget about it so i, I went to buy the, the cheapest phone handset i could find in a shop not even no recording machine just a a stake, a phone, because I don't want to be involved with wasting my time on the phone either or answering like you people busy looking at that all the time. <laughs> Day and night, become a zombie. But anyway, that's your choice. <laughs> so my choice is just leave me alone. I want to get on my work. <laughs> well, you know, life is up to you. Anything? No more? We can go home now. Uh, after you finish your education and in Mexico, what do you feel about the arts in, in the 1960s? I am afraid, still very backward, very provincial. Even the, when I came back the last time, 24 years ago, I still had that feeling. But only the last ten, no, last decade or, or uh, and a half, maybe, Beginning to move, okay. President, shall we call it a day? You've been listening to the Padang Sessions from National Gallery Singapore. Follow us for updates and new episodes every month. And to learn more about our programs at the gallery, visit nationalgallery.sg. Our podcast team is Erika Lai, Kalisha Chiakasim, and Tamris Goh. And the music you heard is composed by Javon Chandra. I'm Joyce Chong. Thanks for listening.